Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The litmus test is always, does it draw me nearer to the Lord? Or is this or is that? Or are they a hindrance that is pulling me away from the Lord? That's not of the Lord. And that's Satan's chief strategy is to get us to think that God is mad at us. Because if God's mad at me, oh, I better keep my distance. Ah, gotcha. It worked. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. When you start to feel like your sins and weaknesses are just too much for God, that He's punishing you and could never love you or forgive you, That is a lie from the enemy. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will remind you that our God is a loving God. He may allow trials for your growth, but He only desires to draw you nearer, not push you away. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in chapter 37 of the book of Job. Before we come to Christ, Satan will do everything he can to keep us from coming to Christ, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But once we get saved, then Satan shifts his strategy, and now he wants to distance us from the Lord. So how's he going to do that? Well, he has to bring and propose and present something into our lives that distances us from God. And this to me is a litmus test in my relationship with the Lord. And that litmus test is this. Does that, does this draw me closer to the Lord or does it push me further away from the Lord? If it pushes me away from the Lord, it's not of the Lord. That's, that's not the Lord. That's the enemy trying to get me away from the Lord. Conversely, does that, does this draw me nearer to the Lord? Well, then that's of the Lord. And that's across the board, by the way. Whether it's entertainment, music we listen to, movies we watch, relationships we have, friendships and associations. The the litmus test is always, does it draw me nearer to the Lord? Or is this or is that? Or are they a hindrance that is pulling me away from the Lord? That's not of the Lord. And that's Satan's chief strategy is to get us to think that God is mad at us. Because if God's mad at me, oh, I better keep my distance. Ah, gotcha. It worked. This is what the Apostle Paul in writing to the Corinthians says about being ignorant. He says, don't be ignorant of Satan's tactics, the wiles of the devil that King James uh, renders it. Don't, don't be ignorant of the, the strategies, the devices that he uses against you because he is against you. But if God is for you, there is no one or no thing that can be against you. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But these wrong assumptions and 
these these passing of of judgments, these drawing of conclusions, and then basing what we believe to be true, not on the facts, but on what we assume to be true. And then what we say and do because of it, it's deadly. It's deadly. It can destroy a church. It can destroy a relationship. And this is what we see here. And this is why I believe it is that we have this chapter in our Bibles. One commentator said it this way. It seems as if Elihu is giving himself such a certificate of genius. As if the brash young man is all unaware of its astounding presumption. I mean, he's, he's going on and on as eloquent and poetic as it might be. But as eloquent and poetic as it might be, it couldn't be more wrong. He is wrong. Flat out wrong in making those assumptions. Chapter 37, verse 1. He continues. This is the last chapter. (sighs) At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God, verse 5, thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend for he says to the snow fall on the earth likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength he seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work the beasts go into dens and remain in their lairs from the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind interesting That's exactly what's going to happen. God's going to speak in the whirlwind in the next chapter. It reminds me of uh, when uh, Elijah is hiding out, basically wants to die, wants God to kill him after God didn't do what he thought, assumed God would do after he calls fire down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice in this contest with the priests of Baal, And when fire's called down, he then has these priests, some 400 of them killed. And he calls Israel to repentance, to worship the one and true God. And this is under the wicked, evil reign of King Ahab and his evil wife, Jezebel. So after the priests are killed, Jezebel hears of it and puts a contract out on his life, basically, and says, what you've done will be done to you within one day. I'm going to kill you. And what does Elijah do? Here's this man, this great 
man of faith. After, after calling the fire down, this, this magnificent, victorious, miraculous, grand, and glorious event where God just shows up in a big way. And this woman, this evil woman, says or makes this threat and he's running for his life. He is so discouraged. He is so disenchanted. He's so disgruntled. He's disappointed in God. And then God comes. But first there's this mighty wind. And we're told God's not in the wind. Then there's this great earthquake. But we're told God's not in the earthquake. And then there's this fire. This, But God's not in any of that big. He's in the still small voice. And when God speaks, he asks Elijah one question. <laughs> I, he's not laughing when he asks it, but <laughs> what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah just starts going off. And you know what's really interesting? As we're going we're gonna to see this with Job, God does not answer any of Job's questions. And neither does God answer any of Elijah's questions. He just starts going off. Oh, God did this and now she wants to kill me. And you know, there's none righteous. And God's just like, no, no, come on. Get up, get going. I still got work for you. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> but God sometimes is in the whirlwind, the mighty wind, and he will be when he breaks into the scene. And cold from the scattering winds of the north, by the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. Uh, by the way, God's listening to every single word that is being spoken. And he's even going to respond in kind. Verse 11, also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds. And verse 12, they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land, or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job. <laughs> Again, when, this is not the first time he said, listen, which to me, tells me that they weren't listening. They stopped listening. And that's why he has to say, listen, listen. You're not listening. Are you kidding me? I, I stopped listening three chapters ago <laughs> to you. Going on and on and on. So he says, listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them? And causes the light of his cloud to shine. Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Why are your garments hot? Verse 17. When he quiets the earth by the sound south wind. With him have you spread out the skies. Strong as a cast metal mirror. 
Teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he be told that I wish to speak? If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. Even now men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. He comes from the north as golden splendor with God is awesome majesty. You know what he's basically saying here is that Job holds God Almighty in low esteem. And if that weren't bad enough, he holds himself in high esteem. And now this Elihu has taken it upon himself to teach Job and to convict Job about who God is and who he's not. Verse 23, as for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment, and abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, verse 24, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. This is one of those times where, again, and we've seen it already, but maybe more pronounced here. This is right advice. This is actually good advice, but the problem is it's applied in the wrong way and to the wrong man. And again, all because of wrong assumptions. He's going off on this, you know, theological dissertation. And it's all based on these wrong assumptions. He's got, let's give, give him this, he's maybe got the right heart. But he's certainly doing it in the wrong way. And these wrong assumptions, sadly, are what leads him to falsely accuse and even wrongly condemn Job for everything from wickedness to hypocrisy and really everything in between. It seems as if he's trying to convince Job to abandon the notion that God owes him anything. There's this insinuation, for lack of a better word, that Job, because of his iniquity that he's chosen, has in effect brought all of this suffering upon himself. Oswald Chambers, in his commentary on the book of Job, titled Baffled to Fight Better, talks about this Elihu condemning Job. And he says, Elihu condemns Job sorrowfully, but absolutely. He declares that not only has Job made shipwreck of his faith, but he has become defiant in silencing his friends. (laughs) Thankfully, Elihu falsely accusing Job of being defiant in silencing his friends is now about to give way to God himself silencing everyone. And not a moment too soon, as we're going to see in the next chapter. In so doing, he's going to silence and calm both the storm and Job's heart. I like how one commentator so eloquently said it. He said, 
in the story of Job too, the Lord has apparently been sound asleep until now, peacefully curled up in the stern of the boat, while Job has been struggling all alone with the wind and the waves. In the case of Job, he let the storm rage for 37 chapters. That's disturbing to me. I don't like storms that last for 37 chapters in my life. I don't like storms that last for 37 minutes. Forget 37 days (laughs) or even longer. Until finally he calmed not the storm itself, ah, but Job's heart. Think about this. What has been the cry of Job's heart heretofore? Has it not been, oh God, please don't remain silent. Say something. The one thing above everything, he's lost all of his children, all of his wealth, all of his health. He's The bones are showing through his skin. How how can you eat? He has no appetite. He's doubtless sleep deprived. And in that condition, the one thing he longs for and aches for the most is the intimacy that he once knew and had with God. That's what, what the cry of his heart was. It wasn't, oh God, heal me physically of this infirmity. No. It wasn't, oh God, bring back my children or give me more children or restore my wealth. None of that. No. His one cry, his one request is, God, speak to me. I can't bear the thought of you abandoning me or forsaking me and being against me, the one thing he missed the most, which is interesting, it was the one thing that he still hadn't lost, and that was his God. He lost everything else. And he thought with that, he also had lost his relationship with his God. Can you imagine now when God finally does speak? I don't mean to mitigate the magnificence of what God speaks, but I just think that God speaks. Just to hear his voice again. I haven't heard him speak in so long at a time when I really needed him to speak. And now he's going to speak. Verse 1, chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, verse 2, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I I was uh, reading some of the commentators, and there are some who believe, and I, I kind of lean in this direction, that even though he's answering Job directly, he, he's talking about the other guys too, particularly Elihu. Who, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
Now, verse 3, he says to Job, prepare yourself like a man. This carries with it the idea of in that culture, in that day, the men wore robes, long robes. And so it kind of carries with it the idea of gird your loins, you know, pull them up. And kind of, we would say in our day, kind of man up. (laughs) Prepare yourself like a man. And then he says, I will question you. Oh, because have they not, Job included, been up to this point questioning God? I will question you and you shall answer me. I would imagine that they were frozen in place and didn't move. And probably wouldn't breathe, but did because they had to. Verse 4, first question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or verse 8, who shut in the sea with doors? That's interesting imagery. When it burst forth and issued from the womb. When I made the clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Every time I I think of the Psalms and I think of this passage. Every time I'm at the beach, those waves, I I can just imagine, uh, you can't go any further than that, can you? (laughs) Because God said that you don't go any further than that. The waves obey his command. Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it may take hold of the ends of the earth? And the wicked be shaken out of it. It takes on form like clay under a seal. And stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld. And the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? Have you gates of death been revealed to you? Job's life shifted radically and quickly from prosperity to despair, giving him every reason to complain and turn away from God. Yet Job kept his focus on his Creator, telling us in chapter 1, verse 21, that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not easy to praise the Lord when everything we know falls apart. But as we'll continue to learn from Job, God has a much better and greater plan than we can even comprehend. God will bring us through every trial and tragedy we face and is our ultimate source of comfort and strength. Have you discovered the powerful love of God in your life? 
If you'd like to know more about this relationship, we have a great guide for you at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Just click on the New Believers link at the top of the page. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family, one that follows God with all their hearts and live by His Word, and we'll provide you with support as you walk this journey of faith. If you're in the area, why not join us at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe? We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And again on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for a time of fellowship, worship, and studying the Bible. We'd love to have you join us. You can find location information through our website. That address again is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Sadly, that's all the time we have for today, but we want to thank you for listening. Be sure to join Pastor J.D. next time as he continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Job, right here on In Spirit and Truth.